Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Potch Cause I'm not Julius son, not anymore Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Potch Cause I'm not Julius son like I was before Describing it quite as I want, but um, composing composing itself is considered a creative uh, endeavor, but it doesn't come under one of the uh, the composers. It's to their advantage to be in the union because then they can collect, they can be on the contract not as a composer but as a conductor, a score consultant, a uh, orchestrator. Um, many ways and then they build their pension and health plan and things like that and then uh, the protection of the union um, and a lot of people think that it's very difficult to um, have work with the different scales and all and uh, uh, the contracts rather filling out the contracts and all but uh, it's not really it may seem daunting we're, we're talking um, we want to really make that accessible so that people don't think, oh my gosh, it's it's so hard to get in, you know, involved and with all and, and getting under union contract. Um, Does the union help uh, composers get work at all, or even musicians get work? Um, there is there is a ref uh, referral service, things like that, but that's not the main. Um, I mean, that can be help. I mean, also course meeting other musicians and all and composers and getting out and meeting people is the best um, way so um, it's more like the actors union that they don't they don't really help get people work but they are instrumental in you know making mm -hmm. sure at least there's a, mm -hmm. a livable bottom <laughs> you know right. and of course yeah pay and stuff Many years ago, you know, my dad having been a musician, one of his best friends was a fellow, Andy Kuchak, that was secretary treasurer of Perth Amboy Local um, 373 for probably 40 years. And it was so interesting to talk to Andy. And, um, you know, because Andy stayed in music, when my dad went out on the road with the different big bands like Benny Goodman, Dorsey Brothers, Artie Shaw, Tony Pastor, who got. Andy stayed in New Jersey because he already had a, a wife and, and kids. But it was so interesting because he told me, and other, others also have told me a lot about uh, how the union uh, changed, uh, like um, allowing for, for breaks and sessions and minimum wages and all kinds of things that didn't exist many years prior. Uh, I think it was the 19th. 50s, wait, I forgot the exact year, but uh, I think it was 1959 when the pension plan came into being. So that was way before my dad's time. And then the pen, and then the health and welfare plan came in the 60s. When I joined the union, both those were in place. Of course, those are part of the national union. Um, 
How much can, can the average music composer expect to make through the course of a year? Wow, that is just, uh, some people who are starting out might do student films and things like that. Uh, oh my gosh, it's just all over the place as far as different budgets. Um, unfortunately, some, a lot of times the uh, budget for music is last when they're like, oh no, no music left, no money left. Um, it, it just completely varies. But it is best as you get more into it to um, to charge your worth and not you know, make uh, people think that um, you, know, you get just get scores for free or something. And I actually have a composer's agent, and he's always you know he's always saying, "Well, gosh, if if someone just uses library music or, or something, it's might work, but." A composer. I mean, this this is written very very specifically to your project. Um, yeah, it's a composer working on a on a project and, and live musicians playing are, are just it's it's really great. Um, there's just so much. Um, yeah. So you said student films. You said uh, well, we talked about video games. Yeah. Of course, film, television. What are other avenues out there where a composer can earn income? Well, I do a lot of musical theater. Musical theater, though, it depends. If I'm working on composing a show, sometimes it, uh, in those a lot, it's collaborating. And then, you know, if the show... Um, makes it then then uh so that's a little that's more of a collaboration and creating the work but uh sometimes i have uh orchestrated arranged accompanied even accompanied music directed uh musicals i've tended to mostly if i've worked on other people's musicals performances i've worked on other people's mostly um original musicals i haven't conducted or played for as many um standard repertoire. I played more for original shows and help people bring um, uh, their uh, project to fruition. Uh, I know many years ago, someone asked me through a friend of mine, he wasn't interested, but he said, oh, his cousin or uncle or something was writing their first musical. And at the time I was busy with some other projects. So I thought, well, I won't take it on. And I said, well, if you ever, you know, need orchestration, arranging or something. Uh, and he really, this person really wanted, it was the only show they ever wrote. Um, but they, um, they really wanted it um, to get out there. And so um, it took him a few years, but he found a young singer songwriter in England who wrote the songs, did a great job. It's more kind of a popish score sort of and I did I transcribed every note I wrote out every uh, piano arrangement and then orchestrated and he wanted um, yeah we recorded recorded with a 15-piece orchestra and all of the songs and I remember at the time saying it's a little bit early to be recording in the sense that a musical you know a film when it's done it's done but musicals are always even 
right when you're rehearsing right up to opening night, there are always little tweaks and changes. But um, yeah, so we recorded that. And then uh, about two years, two years later, we did a um, couple of weeks at the, uh, uh, which one? El Portal Theater in uh, North Hollywood. And um, yeah, so I took those uh, 15 piece orchestrations and I reorchestrated for eight. And then we realized the size of the theater, we had six. So I had six uh, piano based drums, violin, cello and flute. And the original orchestrations had uh, three woodwinds, two trumpets, two trombones, string quartet, and piano, guitar, bass, drums. So, yeah, and that worked really well. Unfortunately, this person knew they had health issues and they did pass away a few years after, not that long after they, they had the uh, opening in 2012 here in LA. Um, so. What is your uh, definition of a successful composer? Hmm. Getting projects, but projects that you, uh, that you enjoy, that you can, uh, well, to a certain extent, extent to maybe pick and choose, but um, to be uh, uh, offered um, various opportunities, different kinds of uh, films and projects. Um, it's nice to work sometimes with, uh, you know, with different uh, filmmakers. But there's one filmmaker, also a Mark, <laughs> Mark Marcello. I've done every single film that he's done. And we met when I was at USC. And it's really fun working on his films. So I won't use a huge orchestra, but always a live orchestra. He's been a tap dancer since eight years old. And his films have tons of music, uh, tons of their dance. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's always wonderful when like working with Mark, it's great because he's not a musician, but he, he played a little bit of music, but he's always danced all his life and he can really communicate because a lot of, with filmmakers, it's sometimes difficult for them to really describe what it is they, they want. I mean, it's possible to play some examples, although I find for myself that I prefer to see what I come up with first before I'm influenced by what they may be thinking. Uh, so I'm, because yeah, I don't want to uh, hear, usually I don't want to hear examples until I've seen what I'll come up with first. But um, I love the true collaborations are, um, like Mark and I, I mean, we work together so much and yeah, it's just, our two heads together much better than, than one, you know, say, oh, maybe, you know, remember the theme you wrote for this? It, it just, um, yeah, it helps. So you with you the... met Mark in at USC. Mm -hmm. He was uh, in the film school when I was in the film scoring workshop. How important have those relationships been in your career, people that you met when you were at the in college? Uh, when I, uh, you know, sometimes I've worked with in the past musicians that I went to college with. But after going to USC, 
we most of us have stayed very very close judy Beatty and i met that well actually judy Beatty and i met this is kind of interesting because when we met there was an international alliance of women in music conference that was taking place in 1997 at uh, cal arts and um Jeannie Poole was saying, oh, uh, Judy over there, she's from Milwaukee, but she's coming back in August to do the USC program. So I went over and talked to her and I'm thinking, because every time I met students from the program, the USC program, they were usually guys and they were usually in their 20s. Uh, and, but Judy, she was already 52 at the time. And she said, anyway, she, she was, moving out to LA to do that. And of course she's stayed since then. We're best friends and neighbors since then. And um, the year, so I met Judy. And then, uh, so that was, um, we met May 31st, 1997. And she came out here August. And uh, August 27th was their first day of class at USC. But before that, I happened to be in Westwood and ran into at there happened to be a farmer's market a drummer that I knew and he said oh here's my friend visiting from uh, Atlanta who had a studio in Atlanta and was a drummer and I sat in and played some drums and, and so the guy was living out here for a short while anyway he told me he was going to take the USC class and then Judy I thought oh okay and he was like uh, about 39 at the time I thought hmm, that'd be different so I started to think that would be a change to do to, to that program. Anyway, I did. I saw uh, 1997 and 98, I did the USC film, film scoring program. And that year, there were 19 of us. And most years were no women and no one older. Our class was very unusual. We had four women. And we had uh, the range of the class that year was from 22 to 50. Too. How much do you think age plays a part in, in this, uh, given that age range that you just gave? Yeah, our class is great. I mean, we've all, a uh, number of us have kept uh, very close. Um, so even though that. starting at a later age, it's still possible to have a productive career as a It company. is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was already in music. I was already doing orchestration arranging or something, but I hadn't, I had never scored anything. Well, actually, I was going to say I'd never scored to film, but I did actually, the only really uh, thing, I scored a scene to, to film because it's a whole art in, in the timing, it's all mathematics also, was when I did the Earl Hagen workshop, which was excellent. And and once or twice they had some workshops at the American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers on scoring, but that was either Buddy Baker or Eddie Manson, and that was the old way that you would do it and the way we did it at the Thoreau um, Hayden class you have a, a, a um, stopwatch and a calculator to figure out the timings and I remember you would time 25 seconds no let's see you would try uh, now I even have to think about the formula but but of course now it's all um, it's all uh, electronic and of course you can enter the timings and logic or performer and um, I mean, I remember when it was 1988 when I did the uh, Earl Hagen workshop and um, it was uh, you, like now, of course, you can, when I did the USC program, we could see the film on um, 
video. And then, but when I did the Earl Hagen class, they gave you from the music editor the list of what happens, important points at what uh, frame. And it wasn't electronic now, you can just set any tempo on Logic or whatever you, you had at the URI click. That would be manually set, and I was a, it was a mechanical thing, not electronic like everything is now. And, and then I remember, yeah, you had to time. So when I did the, the, they were just starting to, I don't know if they're just starting, but they were, you could use a video, but then, oh, I just loved it when, when it came, oh, maybe, I'm not sure how many years later when, then things started to be with uh, DVDs, CDs, because now, of course, in Logic or Digital Performer, you can go to any place, just scroll across. It's so different than uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, find a place on a film, on a video or something. Oh my gosh, it's just so much easier. Or I remember when I first started doing transcriptions, I know people, I knew people that had done them off of 78 records. That I never experienced, but the first transcribing I did off cassette tapes. And I mean, even now it's just great. And of course I put it on you know, an MP3 on my computer and I even have a program that lets me mark the audio file at exactly what measure, time. I mean, it's just, wow, yeah. Modern technology. Yep. Uh, do legitimate composers often have to take other work to supplement their incomes? Um, I mean, it depends. The, uh, um, I mean, I have composer friends of mine, they'll teach, although they enjoy teaching. I know some of the people that teach either at UCLA Extension, or I know some of the instructors at, US, at USC or different. You know. So that's another means of income for the composer. They do that. I mean, uh, I mean, some people, I guess, when they're starting out may have day jobs or, or something. Um, maybe some have private students. Um, I know when I went back to school to study jazz improvisation, that is something that my teachers were able to do. They they would go out on a gig and then come back to their jobs. And mm -hmm. that seemed to work out perfectly fine for them. Sure. Mm -hmm. you know, do you I've have any interest in teaching yourself? Um, not so much. I mean, I've um, did a little bit of teaching of piano and drums many years ago, just a little bit. And then uh, what I have done is people will ask me for help with the finale software. So. Power user on that, and I've uh, in the past done different workshops sometimes on that. Either at uh, actually, I, I would lead a finale monthly user group meeting at a music store, um, or um, I haven't done that much in the way of teaching. Um, but I love, I mean, even now, I might be, as I mentioned, it was just when I really saw the um, variety that you could have. And in college, I was mostly just playing. I really wasn't writing. I was starting once in a while, somebody would ask me to copy out something. Of course, by ink, it wasn't. Got my first computer on September 15th, 1989, to be exact. But um, things uh, here and there, just kind of sort of fell, fell into doing uh, transcriptions. And then a friend of mine was uh, doing music engraving in 1987 and said, oh, you should buy a music typewriter. I remember him saying, oh, computers will never be as good as the music typewriter. But then we both wound up getting our first computers in September of 1989. And 
Um, yeah, it's just, I love the freedom if I'm writing, like, gosh, you know, you would have to write something way from the beginning, write out the parts again if you made change. And of course, on the computer, you can edit and change key if it's not good for a singer, whatever it is, you can, I, I love, I don't feel boxed in. I feel a freedom for being able to work on computer that's, um, for me is just really great. I mean, everybody's different. People, mm. my composer friends work in, in different ways and a lot do just maybe play on ideas. And if they're not going to have live players, they might not notate it. But for me, I just really, it's notation. It's just that I always think notationally, but a lot of composers don't work that way. Um, what do you uh, see as being the role of the composer and, and is that subject to change depending on the medium you're working in, whether it's film, television, or commercials, or theater? Sure. In, uh, you know, if you're working in theater, then you're, uh, well, I t usually will just write the music. So usually I'll work with someone who is either, uh, who is writing the book and the lyrics, or sometimes there'll be three-person teams. And, but then you're actually, you know, collaborating on that. The thing about the, when you're working on film or television, I mean, you want, I mean, I love memorable melodies and I've known for writing memorable melodies, but you have to, uh, in fact, I remember something Earl Hagen said in that workshop, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sometimes scenes have enough without music, there's enough emotion going on. And that's very true. I just worked on a, a score for a film and, and uh, there were definitely some scenes where I said, no, there's, there's a lot of emotion going on. And um, yeah, the uh, writer director agreed. But in, in film there, and to TV, you have to think about if you're writing, uh, it, you might, if uh, depending who's talking, if a, a male is talking, you might write in a higher range or you try to not write, if it's, you're gonna have music right under dialogue, you really though need to not be too busy or to be a uh, different range or something um, because you you can't conflict with the the story i mean it's nice to have a memorable theme and all but you you just cannot distract from the uh, the actual film uh, and yeah i remember learning uh, at usc i know we were working on something and there was something that happened on a, on a film and some of us, you know, hit what we call a hit point in film or TV when you, you know, accent an action on the screen. And there were some hit points, but then, uh, in fact, it was Elmer Bernstein who was our instructor in that class. And uh, he was saying, no, <laughs> it's already, right, no, don't overemphasize it. Then it looks like, uh, you know, um, more comedic than actual hitting the emotion of the scene. It can't. I mean, there's so many little details to think about. Um, and also, it's interesting because on in TV, well, that, of course, that's faster turnaround if it's a, a series. But if it's a film, sometimes I'll come on really early, you know, when someone just has a script and I'll read the script. And other times the film is already, it's going into post-production and ready for the score. And um, one thing also, yeah, interesting. I'm thinking about, I guess, 
probably at USC. I realized as I started scoring, you know, even some at first, just the very short student films, maybe five minute films, but the filmmakers have lived, the, sometimes filmmakers have lived with the film for years before you come on. So sometimes they really have, uh, ideally, hopefully uh, they'll know exactly um, that it will be more of a collaboration. I'll be able to say, oh, you know, more here or there, or um, even if they can't speak in musical terms, but, um, or maybe then sometimes it is, they can uh, say, well, what about, you know, I mentioned certain scores. Uh, there's also something called temp scores. A lot of times, especially big studio films, will have where the music editor will place in other temporary music for just like screenings when they're just still uh, finalizing the film. But then there's the problem of temp love. The, the director and all kind of get used to that one, to that what they're hearing, but that may not either maybe a, a theme or something from another film or maybe a very expensive piece of music to use. I mean, sometimes um, uh, composers can be asked to do something in the style of something, uh, of a, a piece or a composer uh, or a particular film, but then of course you have to be careful because uh, with copyright, you know, uh, um, so you, may get in that style, but you, don't, you can't have it uh, sound too exact. But then sometimes that can be difficult um, if they fall in love with the temp score and then you try to get close, but it's not exactly that piece that they're used to hearing with with the film that they've, have they been cutting the film, the editor, for instance, and all. So there are a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of composers I know prefer not to have a temp score um do you have a favorite medium to compose for uh film versus tv versus theater um i've done more film than tv uh it's funny when i was doing the usc program and then somebody in the finale users group said oh come to a reading of my original musical and i did and signed the guest list and didn't think any more about it. And then they were always looking for new members. And anyway, I was asked if I wanted to join the workshop. And I had just finished the uh, USC program and I thought, oh, I want to do film. And then they said, oh, come by, just sit in. Uh, and there was something about it. I thought, wow, if I'm not working on film. Anyway, it, it's kind of funny because when I was working on film, I'm thinking, well, how would you do musicals? Or in, in the sense, I thought, oh, you have film to look at, but then, I mean, there are two different things. I enjoy both. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy both. So I've done a lot of film and a lot of musical theater. Um, so I've been involved in musical theater since 1998 when I, just as I finished the uh, USC program. And um, well, it's cool because as I mentioned, Mark Marcello, he really has, his films are really film musicals. I mean, there's so much dancing songs. And, um, so his really are film musicals and uh, yeah, extremely talented tap dancer and choreographer and filmmaker. Uh, so I like both. I mean, it's, 
interesting. There's the timing, and I like numbers and figuring out, okay, is this going to end or start? Where, where are the cues going to start or end, things like that. And But the musicals, they just, things can keep changing. Um, adding songs, taking out. Uh, musical theater is a lot about rewriting. There's just so much rewriting. It's, it's, uh, the music, the artistic director of the musical theater workshop, it was called Lehman Angle Musical Theater Workshop, then it became the, um, Academy for New Musical Theater, now for since 2005. Anyway, since a number of years, it's been new musical thing. So John Sparks, um, he actually studied with Lehman Engel uh, years ago, and yeah, he loves that, that, that each performance is different. Um, I know from friend actors and writers that do both film and uh, theater. Uh, I enjoy both. It's fun doing the songwriting, um, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's I know, Sometimes I was in uh, oh, like uh, networking type workshops and they'd say, well, you choose one. And I, I can't do that. <laughs> I, like, I still like the variety. Like when I started, I love doing you know, a lot of different things. So I, I, like, I love doing both. Um, you know, a lot of talented people in both areas. And um, yeah, it is hard to get, I mean, I've had uh, probably written on about a dozen and now I'm working on two more right now a dozen full-length musicals that I composed for, and it's hard to get, you know, really get a musical really off the ground. Um, um, but um, yeah, I still enjoy that. And I'm working, just starting on two new shows right now, uh, original shows. One, one is involving multiple composers and the other I'm, I'm doing all the music for, and um, yeah. Now it's interesting in writing for musicals. Sometimes, now more. Um, I know in the past I had done some shows that the people were um, maybe one person had written many books, but didn't know how to write lyrics, and it, it's interesting because. Um, I started to work with someone recently and they're not used to working with lyrics, but we sat down and I said, you know, made a few suggestions and we're just starting, but um, she's using a lot of different composer friends contributing to her show. But yeah, I was saying, if the lyrics are musical, I will immediately, pretty darn quick usually, get an idea, at least the rhythmic pattern. And even if I get just a few notes, then I'm on my way. It's getting the first first idea, and or sometimes um, playing uh, the keyboard, getting ideas. But yeah, when I read the lyrics, I'll, I'll hear ideas in my mind. 